This episode of the Coin World Podcast is sponsored by Amos Advantage. Looking to see your collection in greater detail? Check out the wide selection of Carson magnifying products and microscopes available at amosadvantage.com. Count on Carson to bring you truly innovative, high-quality optics at extraordinary value. And count on Amos Advantage for all your coin collecting supply needs. Visit amosadvantage.com to explore our inventory. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World Podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at B-H-E-R-T-E-L at AmosMedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi-episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World Podcast. Welcome to the Coin World Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. As I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Well, here we are with the Coin World Podcast. Glad to have you along for the ride. I'm Larry Jewett. And I am Jeff Stark. And we're so and glad that everyone is uh, with us here today. And here we are. I mean, it only took us four seconds to walk on each other. So we're going <laughs> to have to work to where we get this done in a studio. Maybe we can buy a studio through Amos Advantage. What do you think? Uh, a photo studio? No, I don't think they even have that there. But you can get all your collecting needs at Amos Advantage, all your supplies and uh, you know, two by twos and reference material books. And uh, I know both of us have availed ourselves of those from time to time. And uh, perhaps everyone listening out there has done that as well. If you haven't, you should, though, because yeah. uh, golly, uh, if you're a Coin World subscriber, you get a special Amos Advantage price. That's why the website's amosadvantage.com. But uh, anyway, we are in rare form today. We both have million-dollar smiles on. Isn't that right? Yes, that's it. I mean, and it's appropriate that you put a valuation on something because million dollars, I mean, yes, and rare is another thing that uh, you can pay attention to because even though we are pre-recording this by admission, we do that because that way it allows us to take out some of the mistakes. We don't get them all. But uh, we're pre-recording this a few days before this magnanimous event that we're expecting to happen. And if it doesn't happen, we didn't know about it when we recorded it. But we're talking, of course, about the idea that the sale is happening of the 1933 St. Gaudens. And it's going to be exciting to see what the final take is going to be as far as what it's going to sell for. We've made our predictions. We've had our prognostications. We've seen other prognostications. But this is something that, here again, it's been said many times, we never expected to see something like this, and here we are. It's coming. Yeah, it's um, notable that, you know, this is... The hobby is so uh, there. I go again. Sorry, Harlan. Uh, the The industry is so, is bursting right now with demand, with prices. I mean, several times this year we've seen coins bring more than a million dollars each. World coins, U.S. coins. It doesn't matter. Uh, the market is just really hot. Uh, I mean, last week there were two Chinese coins that sold in the. Um, I think it was the NC collection. Nelson Chang, I believe, is the uh, the gentleman's name. But um, the last year, really, as COVID's gone on, as uh, the world is just upside down, 
it has really been hot for coins, for uh, stamps, for uh, sports cards. You know, it really makes you wonder about what is the next barrier? I mean, we're looking at, is the 1933 Double Eagle going to get past 20 million? When you think about all the rare paintings that sell for $100 million plus, coins are such a, um, they fall behind in that regard if it's, you know, the arms race, if you will, uh, maybe because they're not, you know, something you can hang up on a wall and, and take a giant real estate up with display. But one-of-a-kind paintings are $100 million. What's a what's a unique to own rare gold coin with such a story worth, and why is it only, only in quotation marks, $10 million, $15, 20000000 million, whatever it sells for tonight as uh, as the podcast launches? Well, that's your, you know, typical economic model here. It's like the price is whatever somebody is willing to pay for it right here. And then the idea is we don't know at this point, and it may be news by now, but we don't know at this point what that price is going to be. We have these expectations, but still it boggles my mind because I think I speak for the majority here when I talk about the fact that even if a coin was $500,000, I don't think I would be able to justify buying it. I am, I do not play in that sandbox, bottom line is. And, you know, like I said, God must love the common person because he made so many of us. And it's just the idea that we enjoy hearing about this. And if a person can afford to pay that kind of money, then that's their prerogative. That's fine with me. I don't hold any, you know, any ill will toward anybody who's able to do that kind of stuff. It's always interesting to see what the understanding is, you know, how much would you pay for an ice cream cone? I got to tell you this story. When I was a lot younger, I was at an amusement park and they were going to charge a dollar for a sandwich. And I made the statement, I was hungry. And I said, I'll pay the dollar. And I said, as I stood there and ate my sandwich, I said, man, that's ridiculous. I'll never pay a dollar for a sandwich again. Now I'd give anything to pay that little. But the (laughs) idea is that, uh, you know, this, this is just, you talked about a couple of coins that, you know, that have eclipsed the million dollar mark. And it's great to see that. And it's great to see around the world that there are these, these high dollar coins. And it just brings to mind what's going to be the next coin to join the population to break through the million dollar mark. It's more rhetorical than it is literal here. But just the idea that as the prices go up and as we watch metals, prices fluctuate and as we watch things going, who's going to be the first person to pay a million dollars for a coin that nobody's ever paid a million dollars for. Yeah. So for clarity's sake, the story out of, I guess, Macau, I think it was Champion Macau auction, May 30th, two different Chinese coins, the finest known example, 1911, that's year three, uh, silver dollar, long whisker dragon, graded NGC, mint state 64. It sold for uh, $1.34 million. So that's um, more than quadrupling its high presale estimate. And there was another coin in there, year 33, that's 1907, tail from Chile, uh, not the nation Chile, but Chile, the province graded uh, Mint State 63, that sold $1.15 million. There's just been a litany of coins selling for massive sums this year alone. You had Heritage in at the end of March sold a 1937 Edward VIII five-pound pattern coin. Uh, it was a gold coin for 
uh, you know, the would-be coronation of Edward VIII, the guy who abdicated for to marry Wallace Simpson, and that sold for two point two eight million dollars. A Russian coin, Staxbauer, sold in early April, I believe it was, sold two point six four million dollars. You just go down the list and talk about, you know, the Una and the Lion that uh, sold last fall for more than a million dollars. You know, it's interesting. I found I don't know how authoritative this list is but you know you go to wikipedia and you look at the most expensive coins and there's like 120 coins out there that have sold for a million dollars or more most of them are u.s uh and you know they're the usual suspects the brasher doubloon the 33 double eagle 1795 uh four flowing hair you know the 10 cent coin that was allegedly used to buy an ice cream. You talk about buying ice cream. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's, you know, 1907 ultra high relief gold coin. There's some patterns on there. The silver center pattern once owned by Norweb. Some of the um, $1,804. We're going to have the Dexter $1,804 come up for sale later this summer. And with all the pedigrees, all the names you think of, uh, and some you might not. I mean, you know, Don Partrick is one of the names you might not think of unless you're really paying attention to the last 10 years. Uh, Stephen Ducker is another one. One of the names that everybody's heard of, Eliasberg, that's a name that was big in the hobby 60 years ago and, re- and remains important. Norweb, um, Garrett, Dexter, you know, there's Simpson is a, a more recent name. But, you know, a lot of these names, golly, some of the, the best collections ever put together with some of the greatest rarities, Newman, another uh, one, of course. It really is phenomenal to see how robust the market is and how how many folks are chasing these rarities. You know, yeah, I, I don't expect I'll ever get to own an 1894 dime, say, but it's fun to think about. It's fun to think about, yeah. you know, the Cistercius of Hadrian that NGSA sold in 2008 for $1.64 million. There's a rare Polish coin sold for a couple million dollars. You know, most of them are U.S., though, and um, naturally when, when you know, the market's dominated here in the U.S. by some of these pieces Golly, we talked about the Ides of March gold RES that sold for $4.2 million last October. The way the market is now, if somebody put that up now, I wouldn't be surprised if it, you know, drew another 10, 20%. You know, you just never know because the people are looking for asset classes in times of uncertainty. They're, you know, rarity is something that never increases, only decreases. So, you know, there's just some things to think about as as we're speculating about the 1933 double eagle. And, and we, we look at some big things in the past that really matter to the, you know, every, every week we talk about some auction records or. So, you know, looking at this week in history, it's amazing to marvel with June 12th, 1828 is the time frame we're looking at. That was almost 200 years ago, right? It was the first cataloged auction of a U.S. coin collection, one owned by a Benjamin H. Watkins. Uh, the auction was in Salem, Massachusetts. Of course, that's home to the witch trials. Uh, the town was home to the witch trials. But I know that before 
seeing this in in preparing for the show, I I couldn't have told you that. I I think most people would be hard pressed to to identify when the first U.S. coin auction in the U.S. occurred. We know that the hobby really picked up steam in the 1850s and then by the 1890s when mint mark collecting was a thing. And it's just amazing that, you know, here we are almost 200 years later talking about auctions. But there's another interesting little thing sort of dovetails with last week's episode in the historical side of things, because that was uh, on June 8th, 1682, the British East India treasure ship Joanna sank off the coast of South Africa. And the British East India Company was such an important company in change agent of world history as um, representing British crown and so to speak, and exploring all over, taking over lands uh, often by force or by will, and uh, really leaving its mark. And there are several shipwrecks of the British East India Company uh, ships, several numismatic relics that relate to those shipwrecks. That that was just kind of fun because of last week we uh, talked about shipwrecks with Bob Evans. So that was what was happening this week in numismatic history. And this week in coin world history actually dovetails really nicely, not by design, but uh, it just worked out that the cover of the June 10th, 1996 issue of Coin World, that was 25 years ago, and we, you know, we're talking about million-dollar coins, and that was, 1996 was the year that the U.S., the first sale of a coin for more than a million dollars U.S. at auction. Well, what was this coin? This was the Eliasberg 1913 nickel. If you were listening a few moments ago, you heard me mention Louis Eliasberg. His coin sold on May 21st, 1996 to dealer Jay Perino. And I believe, I know, we know that that was the, the first U.S. coin to top a million dollars. In that sale, the unique 1873 CC Seated Liberty No Arrows Dime uh, sold for a uh, Touch over half a million U.S., 550,000 U.S. You know, it's just amazing how far we've come. 25 years, we're talking about a coin that may sell for $20 million. And the first time a coin sold for a million plus was was just 25 years ago. So really exciting to think about and give the context of how far we've come in the last 25 years in this pursuit of knowledge and rarity and so forth. Definitely so, but it seems like sometimes there are elements of the hobby where you come a distance and then there are elements of the hobby where it seems like the same things start to happen when you uh, get right down to it here. And I'm going to give you a couple of letters from that very same June 10th, 1996 issue to give you an example of how timely things can be over the period of years. And then I want to go back to what you talked about in this week in history, because I have a couple of things that I found of interest that are more current than the historic documents that you had right there. But our letters, this one was called Some Thoughts, and it was done by W. Mike Hinkle of Lexington, Kentucky. Mr. Hinkle was a former contributor to the guidebook of the United States coins, i.e. the Red Book, a coin dealer, a collector since 1966, and he wanted to share a few thoughts about the topic of the 1933 Double Eagle. 
that's timely. First, a few anecdotes. At some point, a young girl walked into MTB in New York and laid down a 1933 Double Eagle on the counter. No sale was consummated, but accounts have mentioned an animated exchange took place. Walter Breen's book mentions that story of the 1933 Double Eagle, or mentions a story of a 1933 Double Eagle thrown into the ocean. So the question is, was that the specimen that was retrieved from the ocean? Some all history here. It says on January 13, 1937, the first shipment of gold to Fort Knox was received by Nellie Taylor Ross, the director of the U.S. Mint, Russell John Van Horn, the chief clerk in charge of the gold vault, and Brigadier General Daniel Van Voorhees, the command or commandant at Fort Knox. In all, 40 trainloads of gold, about 200 cars full, valued at $6 million. That's when gold was $35 an ounce. The guidebook that mentions the beside the date that 1933 none were placed in circulation, the story of the two assay pieces is documented. So, questions, how did the rest enter the numismatic marketplace? Were the Fort Knox bars, 400 troy ounces, created by melting the 1933 double eagles and other rare and unusual gold coins? Where did the melting take place? Mr. Hinkle goes on to say the evidence suggests that measuring and weighing devices for gold bullion did exist at Fort Knox. It's generally believed that those doors have only opened four or five times in the nearly 60 years since 1937. I doubt if anyone but those on strictly official business will ever know the answers to those questions. So again, there's a a story related or a letter related to the 33 Double Eagle. I know listeners are wondering, okay, at $6 million of gold at $35 an ounce? I did some uh, back-of-the-envelope calculating, and by that I mean I pulled out the calculator. And uh, just if you take the $1,890 an ounce uh, gold value uh, today, that's 54 times the value then. So you do the math, 54 times $6 million, you get $324 million. All right. On the subject of value, though, it says here, this letter from John Northrup out of New Jersey says, I've been reading with interest the distinct possibility that the U.S. will mint a platinum coin in the near future as soon as it can solve some of the technical problems which make platinum different than other metals. Also, that the first coins minted will almost certainly sell out. I wonder what Philip Deal was up, has up his sleeve to keep these coins affordable only a small segment of collectors as he did the 1995 W Silver Bullion American Eagles. Will it cost $999 to buy a set in which the platinum coin is one of the set? I'll bet the ranch the same tactic will be used again, thereby hurting all collectors of modest financial means. This time the price may be $1,999, especially if the 1995 sets of gold bullion coins and the Silver Eagle reach the sellout point. And that resonates with the continued message that we see on the forums about how the Mint is pricing the collectors out of business. Bottom line on that one. Now, let me go back to your This Week in History. I was especially interested in the idea that uh, Salem, Massachusetts, because I remember a point in my life when I wanted to go up there in the region where a good friend Chris Bullfinch lives. He doesn't live in Salem, but he's near. And just wanted to live there sometime just for the sole reason that I knew as long as I lived there, my mother-in-law would never visit because of the fear. So, 
Oh boy, stepping in it today, yeah. are we? I, I yes, I know, and she's listening, so that's fine. But anyway, um, also talking about the shipwrecks, I found it interesting that a story you did for our most recent Coin World article dealt with uh, some shipwreck treasure that was sold at an auction back in the early part of May at the uh, Daniel Frank Sedwick auction. Thought that was really neat to see some of those things there and know that the attraction that shipwrecks have, tying into that story and tying into our, our moment with Bob Evans last week. But then I had the opportunity to be involved in the story as well, thanks to our good friend of Don Perlman, that uh, understood the story of an 18, uh, 1854 O coin, a quarter eagle that uh, started obviously with the O designation. It was started at New, New Orleans. It was minted there. But then it was counterstamped by a Sacramento businessman. And then this coin is now back on display at a, uh, a store in New Orleans, but it's the middle part of the journey that makes it interesting. That coin continued its journey from California and it was bound for somewhere when it went down with the SS Central America. This coin was on the SS Central America, was recovered in one of the later operations, and now it's right back there. And boy, I, you know, to talk about something like this, you know, if we could continue to tell the stories. I mean, the SS Central America continues to uh, be relevant here today, even though it was an 1857 wreck, and uh, the coins are finding their way back in with the auction coming up next week, and all the great things that are happening with the SS Central America and shipwreck treasure in general, and it just makes me want to kind of, you know, keep an eye on that and keep the bids up there. I was talking about a $500,000 coin, but if I can get one for, uh, you know, 475000 I may be interested, but... Uh, the SS Central America still resonates with us because it was the subject of our trivia question last week, and I had the chance to turn the tables, and I was the one who asked you the question. The question quite simply is, the captain of the SS Central America, Captain Herndon, that went down with the ship, had a daughter, and that daughter survived the incident. She wasn't on the ship, and she later went on to marry a gentleman who became a president of the United States. And I ask you that question. Uh, I, for you, I would consider that an elementary level question. I'm pretty sure you're going to have the answer on that one. I have a lot more confidence in your answers than I have in both my questions and in my answers. But I really think I'd like to hear your answer right now. If you can tell me who the daughter of the ship captain of the SS Central America later became the wife of, I would love to hear what you have to say. Now that you've set me up with that glowing description or characterization, I have to say, I really don't know. I, I mean, that's not an elementary level question. Elementary level question is, what was the last year of the wheat cent? You know, oh, 1958. I got that. Um, this is like three-dimensional chess. I don't know. I mean, you know, you could just grab a, a random president from the 1850s to 1900s and you know there aren't that many of them in that category so you've got a, a decent shot of guessing but without being told the answer I would not know so I am gonna cry uncle or I'm gonna cry Larry and say Lay it on me, brother, because... No, no, I'm going to... No, 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 no. You're not going to get off that easy here. You've already narrowed down the time frame. 
you've already put it to the point where it's got to be you can take a shot in the dark i had to do it with your uh you know with your counterfeits that were made for the uh in the british museum so i just took a shot in the dark and i happened to get the first name right somehow so i just want to see if you can you know I, i i could give you a clue but i'm not going to because uh, there's a little more to the story after you tell me who you are going to guess that the daughter married. Um, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. This president is not on any currency, on any standard circulating currency. So it's not a president that's uh, relatively, it's a relatively obscure president. Okay. So... How about William Howard Taft? Just a bit outside, as you like to say on that one. But uh, in this case, well, the person we're looking for was Chester Allen Arthur, President Chester Allen Arthur. So then, you know, the idea of this, it does have a kind of a twist to it here because of the, the first spouse program of a couple of years back. And I thought it'd be interesting once I found out that this uh, this young lady married the guy who became the president, only to discover, unfortunately, tragically, she passed away before he was elected to even vice president. So she never got to appear on the first spouse coin. And that would explain why Chester Allen Arthur's uh, coin for the first spouse program has Alice Paul on it, because uh, she was a uh, suffragette who was uh, doing you know, a lot of work for women's rights back in the day. And then she became the representative of that era in the first spouse coin, or, yeah, first spouse coin program. So that's yeah. the uh, connection on that one. So I'm sorry that you uh, weren't able to come up with it, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to give the control back to you. It's just, it's a tough one. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we're talking about million dollar rarities and I've already given away the answer to the first U.S. coin to break the million-dollar barrier. I want to know, and I and I identified the specific ownership lineage. So I want to know what was the first U.S. coin to break the hundred-thousand-dollar barrier. Ooh. Ooh. So I'm back even further in time now because hey, you know that was sort of the milestone for a long time. Like you know back when the sixty-four thousand dollar question, and you know, I mean, yeah, sixty-four thousand dollars is a lot of money today, but it's nothing compared to a million or ten million, which is kind of where we are thinking of you know as far as rarities go. So what was the first U.S. coin to top a hundred thousand dollars? And you have to name the coin and the collector that is identified with the ownership and you know i'll be broad here if if you don't name the most famous collector of it but that person happened to own it later then okay fine but i really you know i i think that's the way to go and curiously bcgs has a million dollar coin club section on its website they say that there are 235 coins. Now, this is a couple years old. I don't know when it was last updated. You know, so maybe it's the numbers a little different today. But 235 coins that have sold or would sell for a million or more at auction. Some of these obviously are impounded in museum collections and are not going to enter the numismatic market. So, 
you know that that caveat of would sell for and and some haven't been on the market for quite a while so it's interesting to see that that's out there and like i say you know the um the uh, wikipedia page for most expensive coins there's 120 or so for a million dollars or more that's just sales record private treaty sales some some private treaty sales are not included some are uh that's doesn't include museum stuff so there's a lot to think about as far as you know the heady numbers of uh, million dollar coins and and you'll have to um you'll have to think about that and, and give me an answer next week how about it yeah okay i'm thinking about that i'm going to continue to think about that and you know the number 100 and we're talking about big numbers here, and it just reminds me of something that we're reporting in the latest issue of Coin World, and that is that the uh, insurance for a display that's coming up at the World's Fair of Money in August at Rosemont, Illinois, the suburb of Chicago, just announced this week that the Tyrant collection of uh, type U.S. US cents, and uh, includes the King of Siam collection, and that's insured for $100 million, and it's First time that we're going to see this portion of the Tyrant collection in public, and it's going to be pretty neat. But we were talking about some of the great collectors of the past, and this one has got to be well up there with uh, the, the length and diversity because this, this portion of the Tyrant collection is, in fact, only a portion of what they have to offer. And they uh, began showing some of these collections and then uh, the period of uh, COVID came in and then eliminated. But this one is going to be a whopper. This one's going to be well worth seeing when the uh, ANA brings the World's Fair of Money into Chicago in August. It's just going to be incredible. It's great to see. But, you know, we're going to give you a little bit of your time back here, and uh, hopefully you can utilize it. I love how they say that whenever you're in a meeting or in a Zoom meeting, they end early and say, we're going to give you your time back. And most of the time, that means that you're just going to have to back and do some more work. But right now, we're just going to give you your time back so that you can do whatever you want to. We're looking forward to having a couple of special guests on in the next couple of weeks. We'll be able to tell you more about that as it comes along here. But right now, we're going to keep an eye on what's going on in the auctions, and we're going to keep an eye on what's going on in the news. We invite you to subscribe to us, Coin World, whether you want it in print, whether you want it in digital. Keep up with us on coinworld.com, and make sure that you're uh, checking your supplies because we've got a warehouse That'll help you out here and whatever you need. And that's by going to Amos Advantage. Check them out at AmosAdvantage.com. And hey, I just have to say, you know, we've we spent all this time talking about million dollar coins, you know, out of reach mm-hmm. for you and I and whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but this can still be fun. I realized not 10 minutes before uh, sitting down to do this recording that last night in my change, I, I think at the dollar store, I got a silver quarter from 1960 in my change yesterday. So, you know, this is $6 of silver that I got, basically, and, uh, you know, $5, $6. And so, you know, we, we, we do love talking about the big money stuff, but you, you can have a lot of fun doing it the, the fun way, the, hard, the um, you know, little by little. And uh, that's why we always say at the end, keep on collecting and, and uh, everything uh, happy collecting because, you know, this is – it's 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 supposed to be fun. If you're not if you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. And uh, you know we have fun doing this every week. We thank you for being here and uh, have fun with it. Maybe you will strike it uh, rich as well, like like I did last night with uh, a, a silver quarter from 1960. Too bad it's not 1956 
Um, yeah, too bad. Since <laughs> I, I, already, I have one of those in my proof set. Thank you very much. Okay. But, uh, you okay. know, the idea, I really, I, you caught me totally off guard because I totally expected you to tell me you got your 2020 W quarter with the bat. I really no, expected no. that. Hey, I mean, as, as neat as that would have been, this is pretty dang cool too, you know, that there's still some silver out there in the wild. I know, I know you know, I see um, on face, some Facebook coin groups, people talk about coin roll hunting and this and that. And, you know, it's, you know, there's stuff out there. Gosh, I wish I had known. And I would have said, hey, let me buy some more quarters from you because who knows how many others slipped out there. But mm-hmm. that just means that they are out there. I saw on Facebook, somebody said that they had a family member die and a, a relative went and took all the old coins to the bank. I don't remember what part of the country this was in, but this was literally, I read it this morning. Uh, you know, there's still stuff out there to be found. There's always new things to learn and enjoy and appreciate. We try to live that every week. And thank you for being here as we explore all the various avenues of this rich and rewarding pursuit. So if you're going to talk about what you got, then I need to talk about what I got. It just doesn't have the story behind it. I had in the mail from the uh, Australia, I have three, three of the great Aussie coin hunt uh, dollars. I got the three that I was after the D for Dingo, my dog's nickname, the O for the Opera House, because I had a chance to see that in 2014 and the S for the Sydney Bridge, because on that same trip, I saw that. So I have them. I have another coin coming that I won in an auction and for a very reasonable price. It's not here yet, but it's got an elephant on it. So it's not a U.S. coin. And I also have a random lot of 150 coins that are now sitting in a distribution center in Columbia, Missouri, that will be arriving shortly. So awesome. There you go. Well, so well, we're doing cool. it. We're doing it. We hope that you're doing it and we're having fun doing it. And again, we thank you for listening. We appreciate you being here. And again, remember to get your supplies from Amos Advantage. He said it earlier. I'm going to make him say it again. Until next time. Happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at b h e r t e l at amosmedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi-episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World podcast.